took the last week of last year, the 30th, and I introduced a theme for this year, which is Better Together. And uh, one of our core scriptures I've looked at, a bit unusual, but Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in the uh, J.B. Phillips translation, it says something like, don't let this world squeeze you into its mould. Don't let, I guess, the the values so often, the culture that we find ourselves embedded in, living in, don't let that squeeze you, don't let it press you, don't let it limit you, don't let it shape you. Uh, but the whole thought Paul gave is rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, be changed in the way that you think. So, and I, I would say, I just intimate it, uh, the opposite of squeezing is expansion. So that your life might expand into the fullness of what God has got for you so that you will be all that you were created and meant and designed divinely to be. Uh, so I love that passage of scripture. And, and I looked at you know, something that's a bit more obscure, but that definitely relates to our subject of better together. I, I looked at the, uh, you know, sometimes when we think of being pressed into the world's mould, it's so easy to think of, you know, the big dark sins. Uh, some of the worst elements of our world where it's really obvious that maybe that is something somewhere where God doesn't want me to go. But I, I think often we, if you're really serious about following Jesus, it's not that hard to avoid the big stuff. The stuff that gets us is the subtle stuff. And you see this all through scripture. This is, you know, one of Satan's tactics, one of the, the enemy of your soul. One of his tactics is if he can't come through the front door boldly, He'll cycle around and come back in a far more subtle way. And you see this with Jesus. Very, very simply, you know, in the temptation of Christ, where the devil literally comes in the front door, meets him in the wilderness after a major uh, fasting episode, 40 days, 40 nights without food, and comes straight in the front door. And if you bow down and worship me, all the kingdoms of this world shall be yours. And Jesus dismisses him, quotes the word of God, dismisses him. But interestingly, it says that the devil went and waited for a more opportune time. And the next time a direct encounter like that is mentioned in scripture is when Jesus has to confront one of his own inner circle, Peter. And literally says, get behind me, Satan. What was Peter saying? You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do this thing that you're saying you're going to do. You don't have to lay down your life. Peter was looking for an earthly kingdom and he was agreeing with Satan in that sense. It was like basically you don't need to do it the hard way. There's an easier way to do this, Jesus. And often our temptations come the same way. If we can resist something that's overt, then the covert operation begins. And so I I tried to take a bit of a, a look at maybe some of the more subtle facets of what sometimes holds us out from what God's got from us, uh, for us. And particularly focusing in on this area of being better together, of community. We looked at the difference between individualism, which exalts the individual, makes the individual think that they don't need to contribute to the whole. And we looked at that as a contrast to biblical community, which we understand is what God has got for each and every one of us.
I want to I want to start tonight by asking a question and that is is it possible to be too busy Now that is an easy question I mean I think the answer we're going to start at the shallow end of the pool and the questions are going to become more difficult as we go is that okay But it's okay there's not a trick question is it possible to be too busy Yes, the answer is obviously yes. And, and I guess how we often gauge that is once again we go to the extreme end of things where it's really obvious and where people get burnt out, get really weary and lose their drive, lose their passion, become anxious. That's, like, that's a, generally a clear indicator that you're too busy. And it's not a bad thing to get your no back. I often talk to people about that, where you can get so tunnel-visioned in life, so white-knuckle grip controlling your own future, wanting to please others, all kinds of reasons we do it, but we, we get to the point where we cannot say no in a healthy way. And we do get over-busy and get dragged down by that. But I guess I, if that's the overt thing, I, I wonder... If there's a better way of gauging it, I wonder if there's a more biblical way of gauging just just how busy, how engaged we should be in life. I don't even like to use the word busy in my life. Whenever I say it, I, I just know I'm saying the wrong thing. Words really do project a lot of meaning. I mean, busy, what's busy say to you? Busy means um, you're stretched. Busy means you're probably frustrated. Busy means you don't have time. You can't stop. You know, you know busy means your life is compressed. I'd much rather say active. Because active says, I'm plugged in. I'm ready to go. I'm fully charged. It it says something so different. The fact is, I just wonder if there's a a biblical way of working out whether we are too busy, too engaged, maybe even just too engaged with the wrong things that not only helps us make decisions before we hit the wall, but would perhaps help us avoid the wall altogether. I just wonder. So I want to pose that to us tonight and, uh, and just dive into Better Together, the first one at night, the first PM, Better Together. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them, contrary to what our society believes. The way we've been created gives us clues about all of life. Uh, Interestingly, just just to take one thing that is a well-worn path, But the differences between men and women just in the area of vision. As a matter of fact, in every area of of factory senses, there are differences. Uh, Women see colour better than men. Women smell better than men. When it comes to our actual uh, capacity to see things, men have more focused, generally better long-range vision. To a point of having tunnel vision. As a matter of fact, 
It's rude to stare at someone, but men stare at women, sorry, not at women, at people (laughs) or things. They do stare at women too. But they stare at things. When it's just in a pure sense, they stare at things because it's what they have to do to use their vision the way that their vision is wide. Women's vision is so totally different. They have except men have almost zero peripheral vision. Women can have up to 180 degrees peripheral vision. So the guys are standing there, you stand there straight ahead and you're like, <laughs> try and get your eyes to go to the side, doesn't work. But girls can, can just see things that guys cannot on the peripheral. And, uh, and, you know, some people have postulated that is probably why men tend to be the big game hunters and women were naturally the gatherers. It just worked. They could spot things close by in their peripheral vision. The men needed to see things off in the distance. That's just one postulation. But interestingly, I think everything about us, the way we're created, says something about what our lives were meant to be. We are both sexes, both genders... Uh, gregarious by nature. I mentioned this, uh, I think, the first week I spoke about it. And the dictionary words for gregarious, it it says things like this, the definition, sociable, company-loving. Who's company-loving here? Yeah, we know Keely is. Companionable, clubbable. I wasn't sure what that meant. Clubbable, companionable, clubbable. I don't know whether that's like nightclubbable. I thought it might have been more like primeval dating strategy. I'm not sure. It's like one guy looks to, to says to his mate, she's really clubbable. Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, just become an intern. It's a far softer uh, strategy. Shout out to Matt and Izzy, Georgia and James, Levi and Talitha if they could hear us, uh, and dozens of others. Outgoing, friendly, affable. Amiable, genial, cordial, hospitable, neighbourly, welcoming. These are all definitions. These are all words used to describe what gregarious is. And man is indisputably a gregarious animal. It is our natural disposition. Since beginning of time, man has gathered. And it shouldn't surprise us if you think about it. We're created in the image of God. God himself existed Before time, in perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triunity of the Godhead, he made man in his image. Not long after man was made in his image, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. He brought the woman. There was a marriage. Marriages turn into families. When families gather together, they turn into communities. They turn into tribes. Interestingly, if you just look at... Uh, world history, the colonization of tribal peoples that began in the 1500s with the, with the Portuguese and then the Spanish. The reason they could colonize vast parts of the world, take over vast places of continents that were already already populated was because people had stopped their ability to build community, had not become nations and therefore were vulnerable. History shows us the peril of refusing community, of getting comfortable with a certain level. 
even just in that secular sense. It's interesting, but that is the world that we live in. Almost the strongest communities survive. So we shouldn't be surprised that we are gregarious, that we are made for community. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 and 47 is a really clear picture of, of the early church community. This is just one sentence out of this big passage, but it says of the early believers, so continually, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. It's a clear picture of the early church, gatherings, large and small, gatherings that were intimate, gatherings in houses. And what was happening in the local church at that time and what was happening in you know, the kingdom of God in that sense is that people's eyes were being opened. Like we talked about, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. People's eyes were being opened to a different way of thinking, a different way of living and they were embracing what God was wanting to do in bringing them together. That's the early church, but you know what? That is not everyone's experience in the modern age. Which makes you, uh, you've got to ask the question, uh, what stops us from getting into community? What, what stops us or makes us resistant? What, what are we afraid of to not want to keep joining our lives to others? I think there's some reasonable explanations for it. And there's some that are more subtle. What holds us out? What makes us cautious? What makes us think we don't want that? We don't need that? We're afraid of that? I think there's a few things, and I know this is not exhaustive, but just off the top of my head, I think there's the unusual. Maybe you could say it's the case of the loner, of that person who just never seems to want to be with other people. But to tell you the truth, I'm not sure that's actually a thing. We make out like it's a thing. Oh, he's a real loner. She's a real loner. Whatever. Well, you almost never say that. He's a loner. I actually think it could be something deeper that's happening that relates to the next two points. So you you could say there's the unusual, the case of that person who's just never going to want to connect. Then there's the unwell. In other words, someone's suffering from something. We have so many phobias today attached to anxiety and especially communal anxiety, being with people, being in public, being in crowds. It's like a modern phenomenon, largely. But we also know that anxiety is often attached to hurt or rejection. So again, it's not like this natural thing. It's, it's someone's actually unwell on a particular level. And then we have the unconfident which is where I want to just major for a few minutes tonight. I didn't know that was a word. I typed it in because that's what I wanted to say and I was amazed that it wasn't highlighted by my spell checker. Unconfident. Maybe we could say afraid. Those who are afraid to engage socially or maybe 
We don't even recognise it. I'd even qualified. There's those who are afraid to engage in the flesh. As in real life, real time, with real people. And I want to focus here because anxiety and lack of confidence is an epidemic being experienced by this current generation, without a doubt. And there's more than one reason, of course. It's a complex issue, but there's one increasingly obvious one. Are you okay there? You still listening? I'm going to say things that won't make me popular. That's okay. I never became a pastor to be popular. I'm going to say things that some of you might want to put your fingers in your ears for. But it's not R-rated. It's just reality. And sometimes we would prefer the world to squeeze us into a smaller shape that we're comfortable with then refuse to be squeezed and actually embrace the good life that God's got for us. This generation, more than any previous, has a myriad of trivial things with which to distract itself. And some of them are quite innocent. Some are a lot of fun. And my generation's just seriously jealous. We didn't have them like gel blasters. Even Nerf guns a few years ago, I thought they were amazing. We dreamed of toys like that when I was a kid. But there are some things that aren't healthy. For example, the online but not actually present phenomena. The amount of emotional effort that people pour down the endless hole of online interaction like social media, Instagram, Snapchat, text, gaming, etc., etc., A survey conducted by the Royal Society for Public Health, which is a UK charity, its findings were that 91% of 16 to 24-year-olds use the internet for social networking. I don't think that's surprising. And the 9% that don't hate their parents for not buying them a phone. But interestingly, Correspondingly, with this spike in technology and accessibility, rates of anxiety and depression in young people have risen 70% in the last 25 years. That is an undeniable issue. Social media use is linked with increased rates of anxiety, depression and poor sleep. Another survey by the same charity focused on 14 to 24-year-olds and how social media platforms impacted their health and well-being. The survey results found that use of Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram all led to increased feelings of depression, anxiety, poor body image and loneliness. Think about it. All of which totally undermine emotional strengths required to engage in healthy community. Things as simple that we might take for granted, a previous generation might take for granted as confidence is undermined. Here's some of the factors that were identified, like how does that develop? Well, one of the major things was lack of need to look face to face with someone when you communicate with them. Because when you look face to face, you see their facial expressions When you talk to them, rather than text them, 
You hear the intonation of their, vo- their voice, the subtleties of communication that is non-verbal, the nuance in their voice, the need to learn to gauge facial expression. All of those things are lacking in most forms of online communication. Certainly social media. And so we actually have an unskilled generation. And one of the reasons that young people gave for using this form of communication was, and I fully understand it, I sympathise with it, it's less confrontational. And I understand that. I don't like confrontation any more than the next person. The problem is, even in that confrontation, the ability to truly express yourself, even though you see the disappointment on someone's face, is actually teaching you a life skill. And the ability to disappoint someone or the ability to state an unpopular opinion in real time with real people, not a keyboard warrior, but someone who's willing to own, actually increases your capacity to have confidence in who you are and what you really think. But many, many people struggle now. Our young people struggle. Some of you young people, you would admit it. Things like a job interview is terrifying. You're not used to looking someone in the face, looking in the eyes, but a boss will want to do that. And he's not being mean, he's not being nasty, he's not being critical or judgmental. He just wants to see who you are. So man, if you want your life to expand and be all that it can be, you'd want to start cultivating confidence now in real time, in the real world, with flesh and blood real people, because that is still how things are transacted most of the time. When confronted with a real life situation... Often people don't have the skills to cope. Interestingly enough, and I'm sorry, but you're going to have to sit down again. Give me another. I'm going to steal at least five minutes tonight, if that's okay. But thank you, Isabel. Isn't she wonderful? Interestingly enough, you know, a foundational psychological principle of dealing with stress and anxiety is to practice being present in the moment. Psychologists actually teach exercises like, I want you to stop and I want you to listen. Tell me what you hear. Touch something, feel it, describe what it feels like. What can you smell right now? Use your senses in real time. It's actually a, it's a principle that helps people cope with anxiety because anxiety accelerates when your mind starts wandering racing ahead racing behind to past events ranging out to the side ranging beyond our present circumstances and rehearsing potential threats whether they are real or imagined and as a matter of fact if you're not careful and if you don't learn to be present in the moment You can begin living in a fabricated world of your own worst fears. Acceptance. Respect. Ability. Do I have what it takes? 
looks, security, worth, value are all being questioned. It's a terrible place to be in your mind. As anyone here who's experienced it would echo. And you know what? In normal circumstances, it would take trauma or dramatic circumstances to push your mind there. But now there is a new instant 24-7 accessible pathway called going online. Think about social media. It's where your beauty, your strength, your wisdom, your capacity, your acceptability, your value, your worth can be questioned or judged by your closest friend and in many cases, the perfect stranger alike. And often we don't learn to discern the difference between those who care about us and whose opinion should really count and just the opinion of someone who really in our life should be considered a zero with the rim knocked off. I'm not saying that to downgrade the person. I'm just saying, what have they got to say to your world? But we invite them in. Obviously, much of this is attached to our phones. And I tell you what, you know whether it's become unhealthy if you're afraid to leave the house without it. I don't know, maybe you've had the experience of just inadvertently leaving and then realising you don't have the phone. If that gives you a flutter of panic, can I tell you what that's similar to? That's similar to a junkie who forgot their stash and realises they left their stash behind and goes into an instant panic because that thing they depend on to stay stable and they anchor themselves to, they don't have it in their hand. If you feel that way about your phone, guess what? You need rehab. And I'm being serious about that. You have to challenge where you're at with that because it is robbing from you your confidence, your ability to cope in life. Do you guys still love me? Six of you do. No, there was more. There was at least 15. I'll go for 15. I don't care if there's only 15 of us here next week. I do care, but I'll push on. It's a dependence and it's sucking the emotional life out of you, even though you don't realise it. Gaming. Where you can insulate yourself from the pressure of performance and communication in the real world by becoming a seventh level dark lord of the abyss or whatever. But listen, that is, when it becomes addictive, that is what you're doing. Your online persona is what you want people to see and you lose confidence in who you really are. And when it comes to a job interview, when it comes to asking that girl out or that guy out or whatever it is, you will lack the confidence to follow through and do it. You'll find yourself wishing that you could don the persona that you've created that is no more than pixels in cyberspace. Porn where you can self-medicate negative feelings, often created by what we've just discussed, and unwittingly develop a lifelong dependency that undermines your confidence to present yourself publicly. Please, can you just hear my heart? None of this is said to make anyone feel guilty. But if it helps just one person here tonight wake up, Realise that maybe they are caught in the press 
of this world and it is, it is forming you, if I could put that a different way. It is deforming you into an image that God never intended for your life. Then it's been worthwhile, the rest of you hating me forever. At some point, we've got to ask ourselves the question, whether our time online in any form is actually robbing us of real-world opportunities and interactions and potentially destroying our ability to interact confidently in the real world. And then you've got to ask yourself this question, is that what I really want? If it is, is that what I really want? But we need to get back to a different way to measure busy. And I think, Isabel, you could, you could come now. But I don't guarantee you can start playing too soon. Well, not full on. I mean, you can... A little bit of jazz would be nice. Do you do jazz? Just improvise. I, I like major fifths and all that kind of thing. So just see how you go. Back to a way to measure whether we're too busy. Because I don't know whether often too busy or whether our hard drive is just so full of noise. It's so cl- We need to defrag our own hearts and free up some room for the real stuff of life. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I, I often say this, but and it's, it is an oversimplification, but I do it intentionally, and that is Jesus really only asked us to do one thing. And you know what? It's a totally people-intensive thing. And, and you can get caught up in all the facets of Christianity and you risk not seeing the forest for the trees. This little thing, and I don't know whether God wants me to do this or God wants me to do that. I don't know whether I should be like this or I should be like that. And I don't know whether God's pleased with this or pleased with that. Listen, there's one thing. There's one thing he told us to do. I think there's only one question Jesus is going to ask, and that's going to be, what did you do with with that? Because I believe if we commit to that one thing, and what that means is being in community, what that means is being a people person, not a screen person. I'm not saying you've got to burn your phone, although it would really help probably some people in this room, I guarantee it saying that i'm just saying hang on where's your focus what is shaping you because we're meant to shape one another not not behind the protective screen where we're all bold and confident but it's not who we really are we've got a cool tag but we don't want people to really see who we are in real life and just think if you committed to that one thing not only would you simplify your busy life would you live to a higher standard with less effort and those of you who are trapped in this stuff you know that that is true you could live better simply maybe you're not willing to do it 
or haven't been yet. But you'll also learn the skills you need for career. The skills you need for quality friendships. The skills you need for a healthy family life right into the future. You might actually find yourself busy. No, hang on a sec. Active. In all the right kind of ways. So here's some questions as I finish up. Maybe the rest of the team could come. Am I too busy to be a disciple? Here's the real busy questions. If Jesus only asked us one thing, am I too busy to go on a journey with someone? Am I too busy to actually know someone and to be known? Am I too busy scurrying through all this other stuff that I think is relationship? But it's a digital facade. Am I too busy to be a disciple is the first question. To to, to let Christ shape me through other people, through the community of the church. The second question is, am I too busy? Maybe these are the gauges. Before we get to burnout, before we get to anxiety, you might never hit that wall if you do it Jesus' way. I guess that's what I'm saying. Is there a better way of doing it than just through a cycle of over-engagement, disconnection, over-engagement, disconnection? Am I too busy to disciple someone else? To intentionally go on a journey to see their life transformed, not conformed by our society's values, false values, but actually... Jesus values, kingdom values. Am I too busy to sow into the life of another person to see them become all they could be? I suggest that the moment you you can't answer those questions, you're too busy. The moment you can't say, no, I'm not too busy, I'm, I am a disciple. It doesn't mean you're perfect, it just means I'm determined to follow Jesus and let him mold my life and I'm connected to people that are helping me. moment you can say I'm I'm on a journey and I'm taking others on the journey with me and I'm happy for them to be in my life and they know who I am and I know who they are too well you're not too busy you're actually right where God wants you to be and so I guess the whole question is where do I connect on a meaningful level where I really know others and where I am known how do you answer that question for us tonight if I could could you would you mind standing with me and uh, as I said you know some of you might hate hate me don't throw tomatoes thankfully we don't that's why we don't have a fruit stall in the foyer don't want to equip don't want to equip people too well I want to pray for you and honestly as I said no judgment maybe you're sitting here and you're like man I need to get free of this this thing is starting to control me and the way I feel why don't you just right where you are just make make some quality decisions I don't know what they are I don't know what you've got to shift change decide but you do already even as I've spoken as I said at any point you wanted to put your fingers in the ear and you didn't want to hear it 
was, is probably the point where you need to change the most. But only you can do that. I wish I could help you do that, but hey, I've got my own struggles. I've got enough of this to deal with myself. But what I can do is pray with you, pray for you. And let's just do life well. Father, I thank you for everyone in here. And I just pray right now, Father, by the power of your Spirit, help people to make great decisions. Right where they are, I pray that you'd visit them. Holy Spirit, right where they are, you just visit them and help them see clearly. Just anywhere where they're trapped, anywhere where they're escalating, anywhere where they've been making excuses for unhealthy behaviour and and they know it. I just pray, give them grace right now to make some quality choices. They can bring change for the future. They can bring confidence back. They can bring value and worth back. They can help them expand their lives in all those areas that they need to trust you with. And, and I include myself in that. Father. That we could just trust you and go on a journey of transformational change and determine squeezed to become something that we were never meant to be. I thank you, Father, for your grace upon every heart here tonight, especially those that right now are making decisions, right now are crying out to you, right now are praying internal prayers, genuine prayers, saying, God, help me in this area. And just while we're in the presence of God, just one, one more encouragement would be if you realize you're really struggling with this, get someone in your world that cares enough about you not to judge you but to support you in good decision making. Someone that you know that if you said, man, I've got a struggle in this area but I'm determined to beat it, instead of judging you, they'd say, that is awesome and I'm going to be praying for you and I'm going to ask you how you're doing next week. And if you don't have that kind of friend in your life, man, you need to engage definitely you might be one of the phone burners get someone like that in your life in real time thank you father just before we finish you you might be here tonight and uh, maybe church is an unusual situation for you me maybe speaking about this stuff is really unusual for you but you know you might be here and something's really gelled in your heart where it's like man i've just seen a different perspective on life tonight i'm telling you that's a Jesus perspective and he's got so much more for you. Maybe you've recognized, oh man, I see those traps. I'm in them and I see people around me in some of the traps you've talked about. I just want to encourage you, friend. Jesus has got so much more for your life. He really does want to turn the lights on. He really does want you not to be trapped and squeezed, but your life to be expanded and be all that it can be. And maybe you're here and you just, you know, you need to make a decision tonight. You know, not not just about social media or the digital world, but you actually need to make a, a decision about who's running your life. And, and, and maybe you've been trying, but tonight you really would like Jesus' help. And, and that is what becoming a follower of Christ is all about, is simply reaching out for help. So if you're here tonight, while every head's bowed, every eye's closed, please. If you're here tonight, you just know you need Jesus. In a few minutes' time, a few moments' time, we're going to pray a prayer together. But just before I close, if that's you, and you'd say, Pastor Chris, I really, really want to meet Jesus tonight. I want him in my life. I need him in my life. I need to follow him. I need him to lead me out of the woods, literally. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Right where you are. 
awesome. That's awesome. God bless you. Others, you can put your hand down once I've sort of seen you. You put your hand down again. Awesome. Others in this place, just really quick, just want to give everyone the opportunity. But friend, if you're here, there's just a moment in time you've got between you and God to just show him your heart. Say, God, I just, I need you in my life, whatever that means. Just going to look across one more time. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? If you haven't already raised it, just raise it up so I can see it. Fantastic. Okay. Look, we're going to pray this prayer together. But first, why don't we just encourage those that raise their hands and just made that step towards God. That is a great decision. And, uh, and we've got someone who will come and explain how we can help you follow through on that decision in a few moments. But why don't we pray this prayer together? And if you've responded tonight, even if you didn't raise your hand or I didn't see your hand, why don't you make this your prayer as well? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I'll follow you. Amen.